Hello, and welcome to this special mid-season bonus episode of Shame Spiral. I'm so excited to be back with you guys. I've missed doing this so much. I was so, so excited to spiral out with comedian, writer, and actor Jess Tom. Jess is so funny. One of my favorite comedians in New York City. They wrote on season two of Our Flag Means Death, which is an incredible show. You can see them in Crush on Hulu, which is a very adorable and funny queer rom-com. And the reason I had to come back mid-season break to give you this bonus episode is because they right now have a solo show called Less Lonely, which is presented by Elliot Page. It's completely written and performed by Jess, and it is running until January 6th at Greenwich House Theater in New York City. This show is so incredible. It's a one-person comedy show about sex in the face of death, gender transition on the brink of oblivion, and the search for love at the end of the world. I don't know about you all. Everything about those words is absolutely my jam and vibe. I was like, I I am in. I could not possibly be more in. And you need to be in too. Find tickets online, follow Jess on social media, go see the show. It is a delight. Okay. I have spiraled so many times, obviously, since you last heard from me. It's hard to pick just one for my little check-in. But this is probably the one that has haunted me the most. Okay, so I was in a meeting because uh, my husband and I, he's also a writer, and we are developing a pitch together to adapt this novel that we both really love into a TV show, which is very exciting. And I can't give you any more details than that right now. But um, long story short, in the meeting where the novelist who I love and respect was there. I was talking about the main character from the novel in my head. And I was like, you know, because they're such an addict, like they're a total alcoholic, just hello, (laughs) like basically like that. And then everyone was looking at me crazy. And then I realized that I had said, I was talking about the character, but the name that I said was the novelists. Like I had basically just announced to the room that I think this novelist is a big alcoholic. So embarrassing. I mean, my husband said that it wasn't that big a deal. It was a very big deal to me. I was rife with shame. Oh, okay. And one more thing I have to say about this episode, this actually totally could have been my shame check-in, is that this episode was so fun. I loved talking to Jess so much. It was also a doozy for me because you'll you'll hear there's a certain point at which Jess really, I think they were fucking with me for the most part. And we kind of debriefed that, but but they really called me out on some shit. And I became replete with shame. And then we processed it in real time, which is one of my favorite things in the world to do. But I think it's probably pretty fun to listen to, but just know whatever shame and embarrassment you think you're hearing in my voice, multiply that by like 2000. And that's how I was feeling in that moment. (laughs) But I also love it. So I loved it and I hated it. And I love Jess Tom. And I so appreciated their realness and desire to go there with me in this episode. I think you're going to enjoy it too. 
And that's all I really have to say about that. Again, you might have seen online, I was planning on launching season two of the podcast this week with this episode, but that's not happening quite yet. That's why this episode is a bonus, but it's for good reason. I am working with some folks on cooking up some very exciting things for the podcast for season two. I also not to be too mysterious throughout this intro, but I can't say anything about that yet either, but it is very fun, very exciting. Can't wait to share everything with you, but it does mean that you have to wait a little bit longer for season two to drop. I will keep posting clips of some of my favorite episodes in the meantime, catch up on old ones, and just know we're coming. We're coming for you soon, and it's going to be even better than before. And that's all I got. So thank you so much, shame spiralers, for hanging in there with me. You mean so much to me. I can't even tell you. So that's it. That's all for me. Without further ado, let's start spiraling with just Tom. Shame burning in my brain, always in a frame, and I've only myself to blame. Wishing I could forget my name And crawl back up from where I came I'm going down the spiral once again The shame spiral Alright, so we already chatted a little bit And shame popped up (laughs) And I was cursing myself I know (laughs) For having that That's just what immediately... That's just what what immediately comes up. You know, it's a little it's a little hard to talk about anything without that being the first thing that comes up. I mean, I feel the same way. Tell me what does that look like for you? Like has that always been the case for you that shame is kind of right is a primary character? Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think shame is my my cultural right as like a East Asian. Uh say more about that. I Oh god. I mean, I'm I'm Japanese and Chinese specifically. I say this all the time lately, like I've been contending with like a real um, jealousy of people who I perceive to be from cultures that I perceive as fun or like that I perceive as like, oh, they value like song and dance and like joking and like togetherness, like getting together to like dance at a family party. I feel like. Japanese and Chinese people, we lead with austerity, we have prestige, and we have shame, and we have guilt. And those are the things that we don't want to like laughter, no. Like joy and fun, no. We have prestige and we have shame. <laughs> and that's kind of our spectrum. And I'm imagining there's like a relationship, like a sort of directly related bond between the prestige and the shame. Oh, absolutely. No, and those are the only... It's not a spectrum. It's not a spectrum from prestige to shame. It's a card that flips. <laughs> you're one or the other, and that's it. So you're always either at a deficit or you're doing okay. Yes. Yeah. You No, you're either... You're crushing it. You're the best. You're a golden god. You're on top of the world. And it's specifically like you're the best. You're better than anyone else. Uh-huh. Um, or you're the worst. You're on the bottom. You're trash. You're garbage. You're worthless. Oh yeah. I have this metaphor about um, perfection and perfectionism that's like, like white people, white people have like a marble, like a glass marble. 
And if they scratch it, if they nick it, if they take a little chunk out, it'll still roll. Mm -hmm. You know, it'll still do its Mm -hmm. thing. It can get scuffed up, but it'll still go. Asian people have a bubble. And all you have to do is one little pinprick and the whole thing is gone. Uh And that's like kind of, yeah, that's that's the world that I move through. Do you have any early memories that really stand out to you where where those schemas were beginning to be cemented? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I want to say, Ellie, I know that um, you messaged me kind of a long time ago to do this podcast. Oh, did I? And I think you did. Okay. Um, but it's better for me that you don't remember don't. that. So and now I have to feel, I can feel less ashamed and embarrassed <laughs> about that because I, I didn't respond. Uh-huh. Um, partially because I think I had, I think I just like had a lot of stuff going on and I wasn't like answering DMs like that. But also because I did look up the podcast and I did listen to an episode and I, the concept scared me enough that I was like, I don't think I like need to like say yes to this immediately right now. Okay. I love that you're sharing that with me so much. Meta moments are my favorite. Which episode scared you? (laughs) Do you remember? I listened to I listened to Anna Dressen's. Okay, yeah. And it it, it wasn't <laughs> necessarily that her episode specifically scared me. It was that the whole concept of this podcast. I was like, oh god, I don't know if I'm ready to dredge all that up. I totally get and respect that. And it's so funny that you listen to Anna's because Anna's is one of the ones that I always that I think about. Like I was like just on her ass for some reason. I don't know why. I think because mm-hmm. she was really scared also and for some reason maybe just our dynamic but I just kept wanting to like <laughs> go harder which is often not what I necessarily do I felt like with you and Anna and I mean maybe this is just me projecting but I felt like with you guys it was that you like have enough sim- certain similarities maybe um or certain like demographic similarities that Maybe. I don't know. You were yeah. really going for each other. And like there was like a greater fear of like exposure there because I felt like there was there was maybe some stuff that you guys got about each other because you had some stuff in common. That that feels true. And yeah, you're right, because she was kind of going after me too. I think that's what happened. It was like mm-hmm. a cat and mouse situation. No, she did. She immediately Yeah. She I remember she had an immediate moment where she was like, Oh, so your mom was nice. Totally. <laughs> was like, like, yeah. You were like, fuck, I'm staying the fuck away from that DM. So did you... I just was like, there's some there's some stuff that's going to come up. So did you have shame? Like when I reached out to you this time, I don't even know how long ago that was, but did you feel shame that you hadn't responded? Like, or, or that you... Yeah, you did. Totally. Okay. Or like when, when we saw each other at that show the other day, and it was the first time we've ever met in real life, and I was like, oh my God, there's Ellie. Like she DM'd me and I never DM'd her back. <gasps> Oh my God. I relate to that so much, Jess. I think it's, I mean, I hold on to those things too so much. It's so, it's so helpful Mm -hmm. in these kinds of moments to be like, I genuinely did not even remember that I sent that to you. Totally. Because I do that. I'm, I'm doing a show later this week with this comedian who has invited me to come to his show multiple times and like offered me comps and it would mean so much to him. And I keep being like, yeah, yeah, I will. And then I don't go. Mm -hmm. And when I saw we were both on the lineup, I was like, no. And I've been playing in my head, 
like how I'm going to, it's like when I picture myself walking into the venue, I am filled mm-hmm. with shame. I'm expecting myself to be hurled at by emo- with emotional tomatoes. Now, see, I'm in this moment right now, and this is touching on what we were speaking about before we started recording, where I'm trying to plug my show, which is opening off Broadway. And I'm in this moment where I'm like starting to message people mm-hmm. and be like, my show's coming up, like, blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I, it would mean so much to me to see you there, like, to see your face in the crowd, <laughs> like, really hustling this thing. Um, which is all to say that, like, from the other side, it's probably totally fine with that guy because he probably said that to, like, 300 people. Totally. But there's also something that feels shameful about about being that guy and, like, kind of, like, it feels a little smarmy to be, like, messaging all these people, like, oh, like, I really want to know, like, what you think. Like, and I do, you know, I do. Anybody listening, I do want to know <laughs> your unique thoughts on my show, uh, which opens uh, for previews on November 28th and then real opening night is December 11th. But it feels icky to do this kind of, like, covert marketing thing, you know, yeah. where you're trying to create this feeling that this person has created in you where now you like feel guilty <laughs> like mm-hmm. because you feel like it was you in particular who didn't go to the show. But wait, you're saying that the person doing the inviting is trying to create that or that's, you feel like you'll be creating No, that's it, what happens. And that's what happens. Well, yeah. you're not trying, I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad, but I am trying to you you are sort of trying to put into other people, like, I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but maybe if you don't go, you will. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, it. if you're being super, super honest about it in terms of, like, mm-hmm. the depths of human intention, that there's a manipulative element, you think? I mean, I think, oh, God, God damn this thing I'm about to say. Um, I think a lot of human nature is manipulating each other. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> into this and that. And I don't even really mean that in a malicious way. I just yeah. mean we're all we're all little people moving around through this world and we all have stuff that we need and we have to get that stuff that we need. It's the wor- to me it's the worst and hardest part of being alive needs. Like that's what was just coming up for me yeah. when when you're talking about promotion, self-promotion because I also find it really icky and grotesque and I hate like every time I am promoting a show, my script inside is that everyone's like fucking Ellie again with this show. Yes. yes. Shut the yes. fuck up, yes. Ellie. How fucking annoying. You're doing the show again? Again. Yeah. And it's the same show. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And everyone's thinking that. And when I walk in somewhere, everyone's like, Ellie with her posts about her show. And, mm-hmm. and, or like if you see that person, or like when you saw me, like that you think it's at the top of their mind because it's your fear. Right. But it, they're probably right. not thinking about it at all. At all. At all. And it's like, t- for me, it's kind of about vulnerability. Like it's like, I don't want to need something. I don't want you to need. I don't want to need you to come to my show or even have to ask you. I want to need nothing like mm-hmm. a, va- uh, what's that word? Like a vaporous, like a mist, you know, just like a pure mist. 
Like a vaporous mist. Yeah. Wow. What is the vulnerability? Is that a part of it for you too? Like around needs and and promotion and stuff like that? Totally. Oh my God. Totally. I was speaking of, yeah, perfection versus failure. Yeah. Like in my mind, the way that I measure something like ticket sales, quote unquote, (laughs) is to me, it's either you drop the announcement and the show sells out immediately, (laughs) like immediately. And it's like all the worse because like, I have done some shows where that has happened, Mm -hmm. but like, it's, you know, it's small venues. It's like local venue. Like it makes sense that that would happen for those things and it wouldn't happen for others. Um, so it's either you drop the announcement, the show sells out immediately. Or like, if it's not that, then it's that the show has totally flopped and nobody wants to see it. And like, everybody would be doing you a huge favor to come see it. Mm -hmm. And it feels like embarrassing. It feels embarrassing to admit, yeah, there are still tickets left. (laughs) Like, yeah, it didn't sell out one hour before I dropped, like, one hour after I dropped it. Like, no, like, it's actually taking, like, a normal amount of time for the tickets to sell. And the shame in that seems like it's kind of like, and because there are still tickets left, I'm a failure. Mm -hmm. Like, if I were better, if I were... No, no, if I were going to make it, okay, if I was going to make it in this business... This show would have sold out weeks ago. And that's that's what separates. That's what separates the stars from the people who are just hustling in New York City. Oh, my God. That's what I got in my brain. I totally relate. It's such a fun... When you have this, like I have a very similar thing about perfection and failure. And I love what you said about it being like a card that flips with, because it's totally mm-hmm. lacking nuance and gradation. Um, and I feel like this industry is so fucked for people who already have that. And maybe that's why we're drawn to it in the first place. Who knows? But because mm-hmm. it's the roller coaster of it all, like how you can be like, I'm winning, I'm good, I'm great. And then it can turn on a dime when some one little thing happens and you're like, I'm shit, I'll always be shit. It's actually embarrassing that I'm even trying to do this. Totally. I mean, I've been having this crazy experience. I don't know. This is something that I think I have to contend with in this era of my adulthood, in my 30s, where like I'm actually, if I like literally look back, if I make an itemized list of like the things that I've done mm-hmm. in the past six months, in the past year. I'm crushing it. Like I'm at the top. I'm at the peak of my career thus far. I do really cool stuff. Like I went to this Gucci event with Elliot Page uh, at LACMA mm-hmm. in LA. And when I posted those pictures, I was like, okay, <laughs> I have to admit, I do some pretty cool stuff. Uh huh. I live a pretty cool life. Yeah. If I look like obviously like Instagram is the highlights of your life, but like if I look back, I'm like, okay, it's all like it's like hit after hit after hit after hit. I think. But I say this to say that I feel like I'm failing all the time. <laughs> like yeah. I'm doing that stuff and I'm like, oh God, I'm failing. Like I feel like I'm like sliding down a hill. And that's while I'm doing like the coolest stuff I've ever done in my life. 
I know. And it's like, what's the antidote to that? Like, will, would anything ever be enough? Do you have anything I gotta in your right mind? I got to get right with myself. <laughs> you do. <laughs> it's just like Lauren Hill said. I was already, you know, I was wearing that Gucci tuxedo. I was wearing those platform loafers that I've dreamed about having for years that I asked them if I could wear them and they let me wear them. I'm still wearing, you know, so it's not external. Like, it's going to have to be <sighs> me. I know. So you're at a point where you really know that, like you don't even have a fantasy anymore of like, well, if I just got this, I would finally feel satisfied. Oh, no, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I yeah, am yeah. fully in the fantasy. I know I'm fully like, okay, now like we we sell this show really well, and then the show becomes a hit, and then and then the industry executives are there, and then I get a comedy special, and then once I have the comedy special, then then I'm gonna be pretty happy. Like, <laughs> and that's probably. I'm still fully in that. Okay, so it's Rest just assured. you. It's just I'm just saying things with my words. Yeah, yeah. So you have that. That's so real. You have that, and you know it's bullshit, and that nothing will ever mm-hmm. do that thing that you want it to do. I'm very self aware, mm-hmm. but I don't necessarily apply the knowledge that I have. Yes, me neither. Let's uh, let's pivot into playing the shame game for a little bit. I do this with everybody. I have two hypothetical scenarios for you. And mm-hmm. we're going to talk through that. Well, I'm just first going to present them to you and then want you to consider which scenario would basically be worse for you shame-wise, which would evoke bigger shame. Great. I can't wait to use my imagination in this way. <laughs> okay. So you you just recently start dating this guy. He's a bit younger than you. You're in your early 30s, right? I am. You are. Should so. I say that? Should I not say that? What are you talking about? No, I am. <laughs> oh my god, I hate that even like you're in your early 30s and you all you feel that way. It's just so fucked up. Ageism. Oh my god. Well, Fortunately, I'm transitioning. It doesn't matter how old a man gets. So that is true. <laughs> that... It does matter how old a gay man gets. Hmm. So <laughs> interesting. So you're back to being fucked. I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> I'm a woman again. <laughs> okay. So you are okay. So you're dating. Uh, you you recently started dating a guy that you really like, and he is very cool. You're connecting really well. He, you didn't want to go out with him at first because he's significantly younger than you, but not in a crazy way. Like he's kind of like 25, let's say 25. I don't know, Ali. I like young guys. Do I feel shame about this? I don't know yet. I'm waiting for it well, to drop. 25, it's not like a pro, it's not problematic. He's just younger than you. He's a full adult. Okay. So mm-hmm. the only reason it gives you pause, let's say, is because, oh, right. This is an important piece of it. So. <laughs> I think I'm feeling anxious because of where this is going. <laughs> Go on. No, I can't wait. I'm waiting for it. I always feel bad. Okay. Eat my orange. So he's younger than you, but the thing that really gives you pause is you find out pretty early on he shares with you that he's actually, he's like never had sex before. He's very inexperienced and he's, he's just green. He's green to his sexuality he's a little baby in that way. And you're kind of like, oh, I don't want to get on. I don't want to get into this, but you just, he, you reconnect in one of those ways where you just like, it's very easy. You feel very comfortable. And so you just kind of can't resist. 
and you're you're dating and it's great and you're enjoying it and there's not really any problems happening. And then um, you are at a show that's your show. Um, It's not like a special or anything, but let's say it's like your headline. It's your show and it's at like a pretty big venue locally and it sells out. It's like, it's an exciting, fun show. At some point toward the end of the show, a like woman in her late 50s kind of stands up in the audience and she's just like, get the fuck away from my son. Like Jess is a predator, like blah, blah, blah. And just saying like, basically he's 17 and he lied to you. Okay, so that's... Oh, no. I oh, know. my God. I know. Ellie, you made up this scenario? Yeah. You, like, wrote this? Yes. What? That's crazy. I'm crazy. <laughs> okay. I, literally... Great. Cool imagination. I sit and I imagine these scenarios to haunt people. Great. It's okay. better than, I don't know, being a murderer. I don't know. But, like, he, she really goes after you. And clearly, to be... 100% underscoring this. You genuinely thought he was 25. He looks 25. No reason to believe he's not 25. So this is not your fault in this way. But he is indeed 17. And um, it's bad. Like she ends up, you know, being escorted out by security guards. Uh, and you really can't recover the show after that because you're really freaked out. And also you had no fucking idea that you were like dating the 17 year old boy. Um, and it is, uh, awful. Like people record the set, like people record it and put it on social media. You end up having to do an apology where you're like, I had no idea, blah, 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 but I'm so sorry. And it's like, that's the worst. It's just the worst. But ultimately people don't really like blame you because you didn't know. And it doesn't like ruin your career or anything ultimately. But obviously it's like brings up stuff. Okay. Is that the whole thing or is there any more? <laughs> That's scenario one. Are you okay? Oh God. Are okay. you okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Great. So now let me hear a whole other one. <laughs> Are you okay, Jess? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go on. Go on. We'll get into it. I wasn't it. sure let me if just... that one was too, too dark or not. I felt- Do you- do you make these specific to each guest, or do you say the same thing? No, to every I make guest? new ones for every episode. And oh I- my god, Ellie, this is you're so you're sitting there like imagining like what could possibly be the like greatest fear of this next person that I'm going to talk to on Tuesday afternoon, and like. <laughs> I yeah, feel like so what are, what's the thing that's really gonna get them? My God, I I must am I a psychopath? Like I literally, I, I think there's maybe something there to like oh, to, oh <laughs> to interrogate. No. I oh am no! A little like, wow, and now I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna listen to other people's <gasps> and I'm gonna be like, oh, what does Ellie think? What does Ellie think is Joel Kim Booster's greatest fear? You know, what, what? does Ellie think is Nori Reed's greatest fear? Did you say the same thing for Joel? No, but I'll say I'll tell you with Joel. I had never met Joel. And when I gave him, (laughs) this is like a a point of pride for me because after I gave him my scenarios, he was like, you don't know me at all. And these are like my absolute worst fears. So I guess there is something kind of fucked up about me that I enjoy doing that. Yeah. You're playing some sort of weird guessing game about, I don't know. No, go on. Do the second one. Do the second one. (laughs) Now I want to really hear the second one. And there's more of these after this. 
There's just one. There's just one more. There's just one oh, more. All right. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. The second one. I am. I mean, I will say in my defense, maybe, but maybe it just makes it worse. Like part of the premise of this podcast is that I'm exploiting my background as a therapist, you know? So I do feel like I have a way that I can kind of imagine. I thought a therapist, I thought a therapist has to listen to you say your own experiences but and I'm not, then draw conclusions from there. But this is the joy of the podcast for me, Jess, is that I am not bound ethically to fucking anything in these conversations. <laughs> My God. Do the no, second one. I'm I need to hear what else. I'm kind to people. I am kind. I, I need to hear what else What else might be, what else I'm giving off. Oh I need to hear what God. else I'm putting out there into but, the world for people to notice. Okay, but also I feel like we need to acknowledge, I need to, I'm clearly like, it's my projections. Like I'm, and sometimes I really don't have a sense of what, I just am throwing spaghetti at the wall and imagining things that would make me feel, I mean, everything I, say to you, I probably is something clearly that I would feel shameful about or else I wouldn't concoct it. You don't have to keep justifying this game. <laughs> this you is can, so horrible. Oh, you can my just God. give me the second one. Here's the second <laughs> one. Here's the second yeah, one. Yeah, let me, let me hear what it is. All right. So you're working on a, a TV show. Um, you're in the writer's room and it is like the dreamiest of dream shows for you. Like you are so excited to be in that room. It is one of those shows where like everyone kind of has a sense and it feels not delusional that this is going to be a huge hit. Like it's like, it's just right. Everything is going to be right. And you're so into what the show actually is and like are so happy to be working on it. Dream come true. So um, the only downside is that the showrunner is kind of a dick. And is like a very established older woman who's been in the business forever. She's kind of arrogant. Um, she's not very uh, thoughtful relationally. Um, and she's a little bit hard to work with. So like all of the writers in the room under her are just kind of like, ugh, but it's worth it because the show is awesome. And, and it's, you know, it's like, we'll probably do a lot for your career. So one night at home, showrunner sends out this unhinged email to the whole room. It's unhinged. It's crazy. And everyone's kind of had it. Like maybe you've had an especially hard day in the room. And so you uh, reply to like your number one friend in the room who is like your, oh God. your oh, ally. No. Do you know where this is going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on. Go ahead. Okay. Oh, God. Um, and you are like just talking shit about her and you say some pretty nasty stuff in the way that you would say to a friend that you deeply trust would never betray you. And you do indeed hit reply all by mistake. So you don't know that though. You just kind of go to bed. Oh, I forgot to mention that you are very stoned when this happens. Oh. Extremely stoned. What the what the fuck? <laughs> You're very high. So you just go to bed and then you wake up obviously to like 8,000 missed calls and texts. You get fired. You get reamed out oh, by the showrunner. Nothing ever gets made public in the way that it does in the first scenario, but it is like not great for your career and your management is sort of like they're supportive, but you can tell that they're also a little worried. Like, because this woman is very, like, influential in Hollywood. 
And it was like your most, you were so excited about this job, you know, even just that piece of it as well. So those are the two scenarios. Well, no woman would ever be influential in Hollywood. So my career (laughs) will be fine. I was going to make her a man. And then she should be a man because that doesn't, I mean, I am. Let's make her a man. Let's make her a man. This is fucked up. I am curdling. Oh, I'm so sorry. These are these are my greatest fears. <laughs> I um, are they are they? I mean, they're pretty bad. I mean, I, I feel like these are ones that would be hard to not be evocative for anybody. Yeah, and they hit the they hit the personal and the public both so uh-huh. squarely. Literally, like my great fear. I don't know, because like I said this, I mean, I I said this like offhandedly while you were saying the first scenario, but like I do hook up with like younger guys, mm-hmm. not like super young, but like younger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I have like a real, I I don't think it's a shame. I think it's more of a fear around mm-hmm. that and a fear around this kind of like you know, discourse that happens right now that's sort of like any kind of age gap interaction is like inherently predatory kind of thing, Mm -hmm. where I'm like, I can see how in that climate of discourse, like me being like, oh, yeah, like I hooked up with a 25 year old or whatever, like can feel like inflammatory, even though it's I don't really think it is. But like, I have a whole thing about that, like literally, like I won't ever if I'm like on Grindr or whatever. If, like, a guy who's, like, in his 20s, like, younger than me, like, on the younger side, like, 24, 25, 23, 24, 25, if a guy like that hits me up, I'll respond. But I would never, I would never message a real, a young guy first mm. because I have a specific fear I'm literally like, no, let there be a paper trail. Like, let there be a paper trail oh. that this person hit me up first. Yeah. And that if anybody ever looks, like, which, like, I don't know. I'm like, who's looking? Like, you know, who's, like, reading my, like, grinder inbox? But I'm like, yeah, if if anybody ever is, like, looking for receipts, yeah. they will see that, like, it's always that that person hit me up first. Mm-hmm. And I just responded. Yeah. And, uh, like, I do have a great fear that, like, ultimately, like, one of these guys will end up actually, like, being really young. And I know that, like, other Mm. people – I've heard stories from, like, other guys, like, cis gay guys being, like, you know, I checked this person's ID, like, when he came over and stuff. And I've never done anything like that because I never – I've never thought anyone was young enough to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I've always had, like, in my head, like, oh, like, is that moment going to come where I have to be, like, prove to me, like, prove how old you are? Um. I think these kind of concessions that you put in that are like, everybody believed you that you knew you didn't know how old he was or like, she's influential in Hollywood, but like, you're all right. Like, I don't think those are realistic or maybe that's me catastrophizing, but I don't think that's what would happen. I think that. Yeah. I don't think that's what would happen at all. You're probably Especially not the 17-year-old thing. I think that's really, really, really hard to walk back. No, I think you're right. I think that was probably me trying to titrate it emotionally. Yeah, you're trying to make me feel better. You were trying to, like, dig into, like, my deepest darkness and then be like, no, but it's fine. But it's not fine, Ellie. (sighs) You're right. No, you're right. The honest truth is is likely that in in either scenario, 
your career would, would be, be ruined. Probably, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't. I I could tell if somebody was seventeen. I could tell. You that. think you could tell? I think I could at least tell the difference between someone who's like seventeen and someone who's like twenty-one. Gen Z is very particular. Uh, they're even younger than Gen Z. Somebody who would be seventeen right now. I guess that's true. They're really different, and they're like, mm. um, you know, the difference between you and I. Which I don't know how old you are, but I know you're a mom, and I assume that you're just like a older millennial than me. I'm an older millennial. Mm-hmm. The difference between you and I is not the same at all as the difference between me and somebody who's the same age distance younger. You think not? Totally not. No, you and I have a lot more in common. A lot more. You think that's just generational? Like cultural No, I think that we, no, we grew up analog. We grew up with similar technology. And since then, everything has only like sped up exponentially. Mm, That's true. Yeah. So I think people who are younger than me are really, 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 really different than people who are a little bit older than me. Mm. So which is to say, I wouldn't have, I don't think I would. I also wouldn't date a virgin. That's crazy. I know. That was Um, crazy. I would never do that. I might. Mm, I don't think I would, I don't think I would literally take anyone's virginity either. Because if they, I did, they would also have to be like, at least in their 20s. And then I think I'd be like, well, how do you get this far without having sex? Like, what's the deal? Yeah. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What not to, you know, it's totally people lose their virginities, quote unquote, virginity at all different times. And that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. That's like great. And there's nothing to be ashamed of about that. Are you having but I think a that fear for me, of getting canceled yes, over am. that? <laughs> yes, I am. But for me and my own sexual life, like I would never, um, I won't break someone's dry spell. Like I won't like, oh. I'm, I'm just not going to do that. Like not even that's a not dry spell. Not where no. it's. And what is that? What, like, what makes you not want, what feelings or thoughts make you not want to break the dry spell? I don't want to be responsible. Okay. <laughs> and like, I don't want you to like, I'm like, just like, I don't know, you're going to fall in love with me. Like, it's going to be a whole thing. Like, I don't want to. Yeah. I'm not signing on for all that. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. So, okay. So that's thing number one is that I'm already super afraid of all that stuff all the time, and that would totally, totally kill me. Although, in that scenario, as you laid it out exactly, he's a virgin, and so I never touched him. And so that is what I would, if I had to, you didn't, the game is not what would you do in these scenarios, right. but if it was, I would be like, I never touched him, we're, we're really good friends, and I care for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. What about the second? Two, I'm, yeah. The thing number two is, I want to know what what corner of my brain you found. Something I've been with contending with also in this era of my adulthood is that I'm a vicious shit talker. Like, mm-hmm. vicious. Mm-hmm. Like, wicked. Like, like sharp tongue. Mean. Mean as sin. Like, mean as midnight and i don't think people always know that about me Uh and that's not what i lead with a lot of the time and i've been really trying to like at the very least notice that and like notice my impulses and like try and even this sometimes is a bridge too far for me but to try to be like don't say that right now Mm -hmm. like don't say that 
or like nobody asked you about this. Like you don't have to be the one who like brings it up. And I have I have a great 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 fear that something I said will get back to whoever I've said it about. Yeah. And then you'll feel responsible again, like responsible for hurting them or they'll know who you really are. Like, what is it that that stirs up? Yeah, I guess both. I I really like, ultimately, I don't really want to like hurt people. Not really. Otherwise I would say it to their face. And in some ways, I don't know. I was using this to justify for a while and now I'm like, oh, is this just a bad justification where I'm like, it's actually an act of mercy for me to talk shit. Because then I'm getting it out over here. Yeah. Instead of doing it to someone. And I do think it's better like not to like be really mean to somebody right to their face. I do think that. I think so too. Also, I don't think talking shit is you know, you can't unilaterally say it's not the same thing. It depends on the context. Like the potential okay, sure. harm of it. But I'm telling you that the context is that my metric is perfection or failure. Mm-hmm. And not just for me. <laughs> for everyone. For everybody. Okay. And yeah, the yeah, things yeah, yeah. that I encounter. So, you know, I see a show. It's either the best thing I've seen in my entire life. It changed me. I've never seen anything like that. I was so moved. That person is brilliant. They're a genius. They should do everything and get everything. Or it was garbage, bullshit. I wasted two hours. I only have so many hours alive on this earth, and you fucking made me waste my life? I'm dying in front of you, in the audience. Like, that's my metric. So <laughs> I'm just saying, like, it's not. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I Again, with the self awareness, Jess, because I love that you just connected it to, like, clearly a propellant around the shit talking. It's directly connected to the shit talking you do internally toward yourself. Like that, if you're applying those metrics to yourself, they come out toward other people because it's it's suffering. And why should you be the Mm -hmm. only one to suffer like that? No, and I'm I'm not really, I'm not really the type to be like I hold myself to all these standards. Other people are not held to these standards. No, no, I'm holding you to the same standard. And it's Mm. actually that like because I hold myself to the standard, so too should you be held. I always get mystified and sucked into fantasies about people who seem to really believe that they're great and like would never struggle with a feeling of their own mediocrity or Mm. being a failure and what it's like to move through the world like that. And that they're probably really generous toward other people because they're generous with themselves. And I'm just like, what is that like? It sounds so nice, but I also judge it. Yeah. I don't know. Something I can't totally figure out is I also have a pretty healthy sense of self-worth. Mm. So it's a little, it's, I'm, I get confused. Again, it's the same thing. It's either like, I'm amazing. I'm brilliant. I'm like doing this thing no one else has ever done before. Or it's like, I'm garbage. Everybody forgot me. Nobody's ever going to think of me again. Like, so I'm like, do I have a good sense of self-worth? But some people never think they're brilliant at all. So That's true. Talking shit, I also love to talk shit. Like gossip is such a, Mm -hmm. I get such a little high from it. And I'm I'm like, I love it. I love it too. And I'm a sober person. So I'm really like, I'm a little indulgent with the Right. You got to do something with your time. Got to. But 
the thought I try to temper it. Like I try to only talk shit really, really in confidence. And um, mm-hmm. the fear of being discovered is terrifying because I also don't want anyone to think I'm a mean person ever. No, totally. And I think I would feel so exposed by somebody like really hearing something I thought. <laughs> I know. It's t- being exposed is one of my core fears that shows up in a lot of different ways. And like the conversation that we had about the shame game a few minutes ago, like it is truly sitting with me in a horrible way. Good. Good. Ha. Ha. You like (laughs) wouldn't happen to you. I know you were like, I will not be topped in this situation. (laughs) You were just like, well, that's the thing. I really feel like you took the control and the power away from me and made me sit with myself. And it's so uncomfortable for me because for so many reasons, but also I feel like generally at the end of this podcast, people are like, I really felt safe to like share deep stuff with you. And like, you know, and I'm always like, Oh, like (laughs) it gives me something disgusting. Not with me. You're You're like, you're a sociopath, which is my biggest fear. I'm not locked in here with you. You're locked in here with me. (gasps) Rorschach. (laughs) I mean, honestly, I love it. Like, I love it and hate it so much. I like to be called Good. out, but it's disturbing and I can't let it go. I'm going to be thinking about it for weeks. I'm going to be like, should I cut that part out where we're just kind of made it no, seem like I'm a psychopath? Stay. No, I'm not going to no, cut that's it. No, that's got to stay. That's the best part of the episode. <sighs> I, my, my darkest trait is that I feel... Maybe the dark part is not that I can do this, but that I think that I feel it, that I I feel that at any given moment, I could say something about someone that would destroy their sense of self, that (gasps) would just like blast them all the way open to anyone. And I just spend my whole life not doing that. And it takes a lot out of you to not do it. Mm, No, I think that's just my default condition is that it's very like... I think of, um, you know, that's the thing about uh, the Hulk where he's like, it's like, what's your secret to becoming the Hulk? And he's like, I'm always angry. Like, I feel like that. Like, okay. I'm just like, always, I'm, I'm always like holding this little secret. And I'm like, but I won't yeah. say it. I won't say it. And that's my, that's my gift uh, to the world that I'm not doing that all the time. It, it's like holding the secret and feeling like you have the power to hurt is actually enough. Like that's the mm-hmm. armor. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, no matter what you do, I know something about you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. I have to say one more thing about all this, and then let's get into your shame story that you brought. But um, Please. I think it's so interesting. Like, And now that I'm kind of starting to unpack that moment and how unsettled it has, is making me still till right now, um, that it was kind of like just the uh, the... <laughs> What's the fuck? I'm so, you know, honestly, I'm so disturbed by it that it's making me like really not myself. Like I'm like struggling for That's okay. words. Take your time. It's fucked up, Jess. Oh my God. Good. Okay. But basically. I'm, that, you're giving me a lot here. You shouldn't. Okay. Yeah. 
The dark thing is that I'm like, oh, you shouldn't be telling me all that. <laughs> no, that's okay. I would know. But I- <laughs> exactly. Okay, this is what it is. It's that you were, were really challenging me on like the core fucked upness of sitting around and fantasizing about what would make people specifically the most shameful and then presenting it to them <laughs> on a pod, kind of recorded podcast and kind of like doing this like intense manipulative assessment. But basically what happened is that you, I think maybe you did that exact read to me in that moment because what you actually said to me like is deeply unsettling. It's like one of my biggest fears, kind of like being a manipulative sociopath who just fucks with people. And so having that called out like that, like I basically feel like you did the thing that you felt like was being about to be done to you. And then you kind of did it to me. It's sounding like based on this interaction that we're having and based on sort of what we were saying about Anna at the beginning that Mm -hmm. you, um, that this the format of this podcast invites that kind of interaction. Okay, I'll tell you it does, but I will say that not many are interested in it in that particular way. A lot of people, well, I don't want to like I don't want to talk shit. Let me just say that a lot of people are just like I think are the kind of people who would never, for instance, like challenge their therapist, you know, or or oh, or just God. or just really like to be asked questions about themselves and are really glad to have the space to do it. Not that many people cut through my bullshit. I will say that. I think that that is true about me in general. My therapist, I feel like I sometimes have to be like, can you toughen up? Cause like, I'm going to kill you. Like I'm going to, you have to like, I'm a hard, um, this is my toxic trait, that this is the way I think I move through the world. Um, I'm a hard person to dominate. And mm-hmm. I and I know that about myself. So like when I but I my thing is I actually like I actually love an authority figure. And I mm-hmm. love to have an authority figure I really feel like I can trust. The problem is is that the vast majority of authority figures to me are not people like that to me. Yeah. So like with a therapist, for example, I'm always like quite particular. I've only had two therapists and I have like long relationships with them. Um, But I'm quite particular when I'm like shopping for therapists. I'm like, Mm -hmm. I need somebody who's older than me. They cannot be a peer. Any peer, I think I'm smarter than. Um, They should be significantly older than me Mm -hmm. so that there's at least like a physical marker that I can go to to be like this person knows better. Um, And they have to be tough. They have to be tough as hell, and they they can't let me. I can talk for an hour. I'm a comedian. You need me to talk for an hour? I can talk for an hour. Um, and we're not going to do anything useful unless you like really, really, really direct me and like really become the boss. And I want that. I crave that. But like I'm telling you, with my literal therapist, I'm like, you have to be the boss because I'm not. I'm going to boss you around. Like, yeah, <laughs> I totally get it. I, I'm I'm very similar so. in that way. Like I, I'm also not an easy person to dominate, and I am the worst client in therapy. I'm so mean. I'm so critical, especially I think like with my background as a therapist. Like so many therapists, I've just right. been like, why would you even ask me that? Like I know that. Like why would you talk about attachment theory right now when clearly this is a trauma issue? Like I'm a 
dick, a fucking dick. And I, I once told a therapist, mm-hmm. I thought we couldn't work together because I was smarter and like more clinically skillful than her with like cold as ice, you know? And I'll tell you the only way I got myself to buy into therapy recently, which I had to stop because it was too much money, but I hope to go back eventually. But the only way I got myself to actually be like, yes, because I'm also crave an authority figure. I want someone to fucking tell me what to do, to call me on my bullshit, to see through. We all want to be baby. (sighs) Everybody wants to be topped at the end of the day. Everybody desires for our responsibility to be relieved and alleviated of our responsibility by big mommy or daddy that makes us feel safe. 100%, especially if you're a highly controlled and controlling person in in certain ways, you know, like you're desperate, I think, to like not have to be that or to feel like you don't actually know best. Like there's a relief in not knowing best, but it's hard to like believe that anyone actually could. could. (laughs) I think it's a massive burden to be so smart and confident and beautiful. It's It's a burden. I'm tired. I'm like, I want to look at someone and be like, no, you know better. Like, no, I don't have to. I, but I always know. Why do I always have to be the one who knows? Ugh, I'm tired. It's exhausting. Oh, but I just want to tell you, and then we can move on, that the only way I got myself to to listen to a fucking therapist and to not spend the entire session trying to tear them down to see if they could take it, basically. Jesus. It, that's extreme. That's extreme. That's not true. But I basically am doing some adolescent shit. It's whatever. My last therapist was this really hot queer trans mask person who was so my type and they were older than me and they were so fucking hot and nothing could ever happen because they're my therapist. And I was just like, this is great. Like, because like because they, they were someone I wanted to actually, I gave a shit about who, what they thought of me because, because in another timeline, I would have tried to fuck them. You know, and it worked. It got me to get some yeah, good that's, therapy. That's something for you to interrogate. Also, I, no, it was good. I did EMDR. Like I like it helped. Yeah, you know that. I'm not denying that. That's <laughs> yeah. That the result was good. I agree. That's great. But why do you I have to? Maybe, why do you have to judge it? Why do you? Have to, who cares I'm how I judging. got there? I'm, I think it's probably all connected. <laughs> it's probably all in the matrix together. Uh, the reasons why you listened and then what you did after listening. Oh, fuck! That's so you, funny. Jess. I could never have a hot therapist. <laughs> huh? I would. I would get. I could never have a hot therapist. That you would couldn't. Piss me off. It would I, piss I would you off. Pissed off. No, I need you to look like a aunt or an uncle. Like you need to look like an old person who's like old and has like lived a long life. My current therapist, um, we've only ever, you know, done Zoom. So I've never even seen him in real life. Hmm. And I wonder if we were to meet in real life and I were to get a physical sense of him, hmm. if that would be better or worse for my relationship with him. Like, would I respect hmm. him more or less? Because, like, in my mind, oh, this is fucked up. Um, he's a trans guy. He's an older trans guy, um, which is awesome. I really wanted, I really wanted like a trans man adult, yeah, who like you know has like been living this life for like a really long time, um, to help me through, uh, you know, my kind of teenage years. And like in my mind, this is fucked up. <laughs> Seeing him on Zoom, to me, he's like a big guy. 
And I wonder all the time if I met him in real life, if he was small, Mm -hmm. if I would feel differently. Yeah. Uh huh. Like you wouldn't respect him as much. Yeah. If I would lose literally like some basic shit, like I lose respect for a man because he's short. Like that's bullshit. That's stupid. But I'm saying like that's where I'm at. (laughs) It's all that shit is so real. Like I once lost respect for a therapist because she always ate yogurt right before our sessions and it was like Greek yogurt. Oh no, that's fucking annoying. You could smell the yogurt the entire time. And I was like, what's with you and your need for yogurt? You can't wait for your yogurt. I detest you. Well, I've been eating this orange on camera, so I don't know. An orange <laughs> an orange is such a neutral thing to eat in terms of like being perceived as someone with needs. You're like, all I need is this citrus fruit. Like, I don't no, need and much. also like the just like the base carnal sort of instinct, the smell of citrus versus the smell of yogurt are like oh, yeah. pretty different and they evoke pretty different things. <laughs> yeah, they really do. Okay, <laughs> let's hear the specific shame story that you brought I can't before believe we were an hour time. into this podcast. I know, and now I'm, I'm so going to say a story. Come on. Unless you now don't have gonna... time. Do you have time? No, 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 no. I, okay. have, I have time. I'm good. Um, okay. When you said bring a shame story, there was something that I thought of immediately. And then I was like, no, 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 I can't say that. I have to think of something else. And then I was like, no, no, no. The fact that you thought of this thing immediately means probably that's the one. Yeah. So um, I was a Girl Scout for a really long time. Do you know this about me? I don't know. No. Um, Oh, wait, actually, I I, I remember a joke of yours about that. Yeah. Yeah, I I say something about it. Um, I was a Girl Scout for a really long time um, from like like kindergarten through high school. Oh, wow. And there was one time I was maybe, I want to say, nine to 11. We we were on a camping trip. And there was this kid, Cameron. He was the brother of, oh my God, sorry. This is like so, there's so much track laying that has to happen here. I was a Girl Scout for a really long time. I had my troop. My sister, who's three years younger, was in another troop that my mom was the leader of. Okay. Um, so they were like older and younger sister troops. Um, we were all on a camping trip one time. And this kid, Cameron, who was the brother of a girl in my mom's troop, was just really like acting out. I don't know. He was probably my age also, 10, 11. He was acting out. I remember at one point, I don't think this was even that crazy. We were like, me and my friends were like sitting in the tent and he was acting out outside and he like threw like a water bottle into the tent but i don't even think i don't think it was open or anything i don't think water got anywhere i think it was just like a projectile that came in um but i'm also like i was a real like perennial good girl like i didn't like do shit so to me he was like acting crazy and then sometime later in girl scouts like at the end of the year we have like an award ceremony and it might've been my mom who was talking. I don't remember. Somebody was like up at the front of the room addressing the room. Um, and it must've been both of our troops. It might've been my mom. And like, they said something about like, Oh yeah. And our camping trip at camp Wente. And I w- was like, so great. And I was like, yeah, except for Cameron ruining everything. I like said this out into the room. Mm-hmm. 
and it like sucked the air out of the room in that moment. And then later my mom was like, basically she was like, that was not cool. And like, you can't do that. And you have to sit down and you have to write an apology letter to Cameron's mom. Ugh. Who was, you know, a mom who was around. Um, and so, yeah, I, I like wrote her this note. Um, I just remember feeling so fucking bad for like a really, really, really long time. And it wasn't that like, you know, now as an adult, I would like faced with a similar situation. I would be like, okay, like I'm introspecting. Now I'm going to go and apologize. And the act of apology, hopefully, hopefully, like obviously depending on how the affected person reacts is you know, the act of me, like, giving it over and, like, letting go. Mm -hmm. Provided I also, like, changed my behavior and blah, blah, blah. And it just wasn't, it was, like, so shameful that I had to, like, write this apology letter and then give it to her. I think my mom made me give it to her. And she even later, the mom came up to me and was like, she was like, yeah, I read your letter and, like, thank you for, like, writing that note. And, like, it's fine, basically. But it just didn't, it didn't end for me until, like, probably I just got, like, tired of it. I probably, like, tuckered myself out, you know, on that feeling and then stopped caring about it as much. But it was very, very alive for me for, like, a long time. Like, through adolescence into adulthood? Oh, okay. Maybe not that long. But... (laughs) Like through childhood. Maybe even not like that, but like every waking <laughs> moment for like, you know, a month or something or okay. like two months. But like it was just like, like that was what I was on that moment and that feeling that I, I had created. So it was kind of like, like if you, if that response hadn't happened, would the shame have also been absent? Like, was it about being perceived as a kid who would do that? And having to, like, acknowledge it and all that? I think so. You know, I think I was going for a laugh. Yeah. And maybe if I had gotten that laugh, I would have just been punching down on that kit. Like, Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. So when you were spiraling in that immediate aftermath, like, were you, what was, do you remember what it was like? I know you were so young, but was it like a replaying of what happened or, like, more like thoughts about what it meant about you or both Mm, if i know myself it was probably a replaying of what happened Mm -hmm. what's funny is i didn't feel that bad for the kid i felt bad Mm. for the mom oh for the mom yeah i was like i embarrassed his mom in front of everyone Mm. i think maybe my mom said that to me i think maybe she gave me that Mm -hmm. about his mom i i also have I don't even know that it was so much. I think it was about like embarrassing the mom, but it was not so much about like hurting this actual kid as it was about like, I have a real thing about getting in trouble. Like, and I was like, so in trouble. Yeah. The getting in trouble thing is crazy. That like, that carries on to this day with me. Like when you get in trouble, what's the part of getting in trouble that feels so intolerable? Mm, I don't know, like the idea that I like got caught doing something. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, I really have that too. And sometimes I wonder if it's not to be like too reductive, but it feels like 
for me at least it has a queer element like about um like growing up and I knew I was queer really young, but I knew also it was going to be fucking terrible when I came out family wise. So I felt like I I think I, and then I was a very good girl and very like, like all the right things, you know? And so it was this dual experience of like all this positive feedback all the time. But Mm -hmm. if anyone really knew anytime I got caught for anything, I think it felt like I was getting caught for the real thing that I was like a mo- an evil a homosexual monster, you know? Ooh. So, yeah. So it was about like secrets. It was about like holding Se- a secret, holding shameful secrets. Yeah. I think so. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I think mine is like an Asian thing mm. and it's like similar, similar as we've been saying this whole time, you're either in trouble or you're being celebrated. Yeah. And if you're in trouble, like, does that mean you're like, you feel like you're like, not like you don't get love, like you're not good, like you're either good or oh, bad. God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I grew up on under a lot of, no, it's hard because like the kind of main authority figures in my life, like if I look at that, like my mom, my dad, like my grandma, they all operate pretty differently around this kind of stuff, but at least one of them was a real hardcore, a real, not even, it's like not even about love. Like it's about like not getting fucking reamed, like not getting your fucking like ass kicked, like not literally Mm. like nobody, I didn't, I wasn't really raised like that, but like metaphorically and emotionally, like totally ass kicked for like Mm. making a mistake. Yeah. Making like a mistake. One, one, like a tiny mistake even. Yes, uh, inconsequential mistake that doesn't harm anyone. I could get totally, totally reamed out for like hours and hours. Like, yeah, Ugh. like totally disproportionate to the okay. action. All right, yeah. So that's like the framework. That's oh, there's pretty straightforward stuff there. It's like yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know yeah. where that came from. So that if you're like, if you fuck up in a tiny way. I'm sure, of course, that's going to like pop up in your body to be like prepared mm-hmm. for the attack. consequences are dire. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find yourself expecting that like in your relationships? Like not outside oh, of God. your family? I mean, I've also been <laughs> my like, um, my first ever relationship, which was with a girl, um, was like, also very i i would characterize it as emotionally abusive mm-hmm. i learned later in my adulthood that that person also characterizes it as emotionally abusive to other people and i'm like at the end of the day i'm like okay we were like 17 like i'm sure we were doing all kinds of crazy shit to each other i'm sure yes i have um, one of those too <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um Although I do think, I mean, I'm a pretty, obviously I'm a pretty biased uh, subject on this. I do think I got it really bad in that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would think that. But it, it was also a like, like hairpin turn, like suddenly you're angry, like, and you're so angry and it's going to take six hours. It's going to take eight hours of constant attention to like get us out of this situation. And that was my first romantic relationship ever. So, 
I'm pretty like distant in a lot of ways from that now. Mm-hmm. Years wise, like I'm really different. My like dating and romantic and sex life is really different from that. But like for a long time, I had a real like, oh my god, like this person I'm seeing, like I texted this person and they didn't text me back in like five minutes. Like they're mad. Like, and I did mm-hmm. something and I have to figure out what it is. Mm-hmm. I do have a thing about getting in trouble in relationships, but that's why I'm not, yeah, I'm not dating right now. <laughs> <laughs> You're not. Well, I also think that in my, um, in my most recent relationship, I had such a fear of this sort of like getting in trouble or like stepping out of line. And I inherently like made my partner an authority figure in my head to me. Yeah. Like someone whose line could not be crossed. Mm-hmm. Instead of coming to her as an equal. And I think that like we had a lot of issues that went unresolved because I didn't I was like, well, mother knows best, you know? Like I was like, <laughs> Yeah. You must be in charge here. Those patterned dynamics like that. It's, I mean, I obsess about this in a nerdy psychology way sometimes in terms of like reenactment and like the way, like it's, mm. of course, that was your first relationship, like that one that you talked about, because it was like, that's all, that's what you were wired. Your whole body probably zoomed you to that girl, you know? Mm. And it's like the idea, some people, some theory posits that it's like, you do that again and again and again. It's like in part this, it's connected to this idea of like repetition compulsion. It's like a, which right. is like a, you know it, that Freudian term. I don't know that exactly, but I know this is my thing is that I can never exactly cite a source. I'm always just like, I heard it somewhere. And then I like yeah, say yeah. it like it's a fact. Um, but I heard it somewhere that like, um, you know, when we talk about like having types, it's not that you really have a type, it's that you're used to a particular dynamic and then you just repeat that dynamic over and over again because that's what feels comfortable and familiar to you. So yeah. anyway, which which is to say, I don't know exactly the term yeah, you I said, mean, but it's what I, that made me think of. Totally. I feel like that that is kind of true, but I, I feel like the deeper components of it are are that like you're drawn to someone's shit in this way that matches up with your shit and challenges it. And it can either replay it or you can transform it. And you have kind of like that opportunity. And that can't always happen with both of you at the same time. It can't always happen because of where you're at. But like ultimately it can happen, you know? And often when you like try to, you know, when you like, you're like someone's so nice like I should date them. They're so nice. They like me a lot. Like, why don't I like, I don't know if you do this, but I feel like yeah. this is really common. Like, no, I, I do. Okay. Like, I don't like, I can't like, what was wrong with me that I can't date nice people, you know? And it's often just that, that like, I think that that like deep charged potential to fucking heal your shit isn't there with that person. Mm. And it's really boring oh, and whatever personality shit, but like, Part of what creates that charge, I think, is this feeling like you could fuck me up. You could destroy me and I could destroy you. But then maybe actually underneath that, it's not sadistic. Right. It's like, I want to be healed, you know? Right. And then then become become something new afterwards. Exactly. Yeah. Well, well I stopped dating, so I'll <laughs> I'll never find out. But I 
my God. Yeah, that's enrolling someone as like mommy in that way, you know, best. It's like, then you don't even, it's so, it's so shitty when that, when you are stuck in that, because it's like, they don't even get Mm -hmm. to be really with you and they don't get to be themselves. Totally, totally. No, and I didn't, I didn't realize until much later, um, literally until like a time that we saw each other long after we'd broken up that I was like, oh, I just had this idea of you that I was like rolling with this whole time. Yeah, totally. And like, I don't even know that you knew that, which is not fair. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've kept you here for so long. We need to wrap up, but it's been so nice talking to you. Um, Yeah, this is fun. We have a lot to think about. We do. You know what? There's a lot to unpack, but we're, we're running, you know, we're, we're at the end. We're at our time. Was there anything that we talked about more than anything else in the conversation? Because I know it was all shame ridden, but that in the moment made you have like a, a like meta little shame spiral or that you think will later if you're like replaying anything we talked about? <laughs> um. If I'm being really real, I'm probably going to spiral about um, me being like, yeah, I like guys in their 20s, like, (laughs) which I just said again uh, into (laughs) the microphone. Um, um, But also, also controversial, me liking cis guys in their 20s is not the same as like a guy in his 30s who's into like girls in their 20s because i can't hurt a cis guy much more than he could hurt me i mean that's real i'm like you could do you know i'm the one getting fucked here like (laughs) (laughs) yeah you kill me if you wanted to you feel scared i feel scared i'm like that's a reasonable justification (laughs) it really is you can't you cannot look at that outside of the context of the actual people there. Anyway, I'm going to spiral about feeling like I had to defend that. And then the thing that's deeper than that is that I I think that um the this moment that we keep referring to where I read you about something mm-hmm. that made me feel really powerful. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's not that it's going to make me spiral. It's that that is feeding into my darkest impulses. <laughs> and maybe like maybe that's something for me to look at. Yeah. It's it, specifically that I'm not going to spiral about that. It's that I'm going to be oh, like, ha-ha. Like, <laughs> so interesting. But then, yeah, that I wonder if that brings up a similar fear for you that I am having about like being a sociopath-ish. Oh, totally. I have that fear. <laughs> you do. You do. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, my God. When I went, this is maybe a separate tangent, but the first time I ever went to Fire Island uh-huh. was like two years ago. <laughs> I love that this starts with Fire Island and ends with sociopath. It's all so sociopathy <laughs> on Fire Island. My God. Uh-huh. No, and I looked around and I saw the kind of like desire politics schematics happening Mm -hmm. and i went you're all sociopaths you want a sociopath i'll give you sociopath and i was like you like you guys want to play this toxic game i'll play this game Mm -hmm. 
yeah and then you know and then i went and i like made out with this like huge muscular white guy who i was like not into at all Mm -hmm. because i was like here we are like at the underwear party and Mm -hmm. everyone can see me and everyone's gonna see like i just made out with this like tall muscle white guy and i'm the other here but now here's this guy who's like on top in this Mm -hmm. hierarchy and by being publicly sexualized by him, I am going to give myself a worth in this space. Like, it's like playing their sick game. And But I was like, you want to yeah. play games? I can play games. I can play games all day. And you know what? It worked. Speaking of Joel, the next day, Joel, because um, uh, Fire Island, the movie, coincidentally, was, just opened that same weekend. The oh. next day, I saw Joel at a party who I think is awesome. You know? Mm-hmm. I think Joel is really cool. And Joel went... I saw you making out with this hot guy last night. And I was like, wow. no, but you know what? I went, oh, he was so boring. I, You made it even better. So, y- yes, I, which is all just to say, I love that you were like, do you have a fear of being a sociopath? And I was like, here's an example of a time I was a sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> so what does that say? Oh, my God, I love it. I mean... First of all, I think that you're just aware and owning this in a way that many people are either not aware or would never tell anybody that their minds work in this way because everyone is aware of like social currency. Everyone does shit. I mean, maybe not everyone, but like it's very human what you did, but you're so hyper-conscious of it is so interesting. I think that's worse because then you can be like, yeah, I'm probably a sociopath. Yeah, you know? no, because then I do bad things and I have to be like, I knew I shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's and, all responsibility over here. It's also a way to be to feel invulnerable and powerful because if you see the game they're playing and you're like, yes, I understand the rules, I will play, I will outplay that game, then you're not vulnerable to being hurt or excluded or anything like that. Yeah, totally. And I have been hurt other times, but you know what I think when that happens is I go, man, I didn't play that right. Mm -hmm. And if I just played it better, that wouldn't have happened. Oh, I know. You know, what's so sick is like when you, like with your story about Joel, that every time you get confirmation that it worked, It's like, that's so, it just makes you, it's harder and harder to not behave in that way because you're kind Mm -hmm. of like, I know that this is effective. I have all this evidence and data. No, it's messed up. I mean, it's the same thing as like, you know, under capitalism, it's not a good system, but there are ways to win the system and you will get rewarded for navigating this toxic system. You know what I'm doing right now that's so gross that I wasn't aware of, but now I am, is like, there's just someone I want to be friends with. And um, I could, I got the sense that I was a little bit too overt about that. So now I'm icing them out and they already came back to me. (laughs) This is some high school shit, Ellie. These are old, these are old things. But when I say icing them out, all I mean is I just didn't text for a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then it was like, hey, do you want to get coffee? And it's like, yes, I do. But it's like gross 
it's like, it's effective. So, but I know it's healthier for me when I'm in a place or a moment in my life where I'm just like, you know what? I want to have coffee with this person. So I'm not going to pretend like I don't. Totally. No. And it's like, to me, like the real balance is that there can be certain manipulative aspects to these interactions that we have just in so far as, like I said, I think a lot of human interaction is manipulation. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't even mean that in like a pointed way, but like, for me, it's about the balance of like, it's not just that I'm trying to like get something from this person. It's that like, I'm also actually going to be a good friend. And Yeah. yeah, to me, it's like, if you can't also follow up with being a good friend, that's where you lose everything. Yeah. And that's the difference between somebody who people perceive as like a full social climber who is just always trying to get stuff yeah. and someone who you actually can forge a relationship with. It's mm. like you have to make a real, at the end of the day, you have to make a real relationship. Yeah. You have to take a, an emotional risk too. Mm-hmm. Or else. And you have to give something back. You can't be just trying to get stuff and like, you know, like doing your little rat crawl. Like, <laughs> no, it's so shameful and disgusting. Um, you're such a delight. Well, thank you. Yes. A delight and like, this was intense and I yeah. really appreciate that. I really no, do. No, I'm evil. That's why I, I, and I just don't think people totally know that. <laughs> and, uh, and well, I, now I do. <laughs> <laughs> right, and you now, know that I'm evil, do. so. Well, mm, we'll see. Oh, but you I, don't think I'm evil? Are you serious? No, 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 no. I do. I do. I do. I don't think you can out evil me. Okay. <laughs> um. Is that a brag? What was that? Like, what is that about? What does that say about me that I think that about people? What kind I think, of thing? I know, that's I think messed it's like, up. That's I'm the most up. evil. If you don't have. <laughs> it's so crazy. Okay, we have to stop. We have to stop. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Shame Spiral. You can follow the pod at Pod Shame Spiral on Twitter and Instagram. And you can follow me at Ellie Kremendahl on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, where I'm regularly posting fun or especially juicy video clips from the episodes. If you're enjoying the pod, please rate, review, and subscribe. It really helps. And if you have any brilliant ideas for a shame game scenario, email Email me at shamespiralpod at gmail.com. This episode was edited by Teresa Gaffney. Original music was by Shadwick Wild, and cover art was by Cassidy Kolinick. Thank you again so much for listening and spiral on, but not too much, okay? <laughs> <laughs>